Hi, this is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, located on East 9th between T and Avenue U. Thank you so much in advance for listening to the following shiur. I'd like to talk about the history of the Chagadia. Do you know that the Chagadia, nobody really knows where it was written or who wrote it? The Chagadia was actually found on a petek written on a piece of parchment. It was found in the shul of the Baal HaRokeach. The Rokeach was from the time of the early Rishonim. The author of the Chad Gadya till today is unknown. It's something that mysteriously just showed up one day in a shul. But when the Baal HaRokeach himself began to read it, he saw that this was not any ordinary of a writing. That this was a very holy Kabbalistic writing that was Kodesh Kodashim the Chagadiyah itself. Like similar to Baruch She'amar, that one day was something that on a piece of parchment fell from Shamayim, and we do not have an author other than heaven of who wrote the Baruch She'amar, so too the Chagadiyah, we do not know who wrote it. It was simply found one day in the Shul of Baal Harokeach, and its author is unknown. But what we do know is it's Kodesh Kodashim. To the extent that the Chida in the She'elot Tushuvot in Siman Chavchet, one time it was a question asked to the Chida about somebody who made fun of the Chagadya. There was somebody that actually came along and thought that the Chagadya was just a child's story, like one of those children rhymes. And because of that, he put down the Chagadya. And he said, ah, this is, and whatever he said. The people got so upset that they took this guy and they put him in cherem. They excommunicated him. They didn't let him in shul. No one would talk to him in the city. No one would do business with him. They wrote an entire she'elah teshuvah that was asking the chida if they did the right thing. Or maybe they reacted too aggressive. And the chida writes back, Chad Gadya is Kodesh Kodashim. Al Kabbalah, all the secrets of the history of Galut and Geula is in that piece. Not only didn't you overdo it, you didn't do enough, he writes back. He says that that person should be put in Kherem, and his money should be taken away and given to Aniim, and he should be driven out of the city. Now, we're not, the, we're not that type of a people. So if the Chida was telling and calling out, for such an aggressive reaction to someone who degraded the Chad Gadya by calling it some sort of a whimsical child's tale, you understand how Kodesh Kodashim this really is. I'd like to talk about it. I'd like to talk about the secrets of the Chad Gadya and the way we have it. So let's get down to it. Chad Gadya, Chad Gadya. A young goat, a kid, that daddy bought for two coins. But then came a cat, which ate this young goat, this kid. And then after that came a dog, which ate the cat, the same cat that ate the kid. And then came a stick that hit the dog. And then a fire that burnt that stick. And then sure enough, there was water that came and put out the fire that hit the dog, that ate the cat. 
that ate the kid that daddy bought for two, two coins. But then, of course, there was an ox that came and drank the water. And when the Shochet heard that about that ox, he came running and he slaughtered the ox. And then the Malachamavit came and slaughtered the Shochet, which slaughtered the ox, which drank the water, which put out the fire, which burnt the stick, which hit the dog, which bit the cat, which ate the kid that daddy bought for two coins. Chadgadia, Chadgadia. Says the great Benishchai. He writes, along with Rabbi Yonatan Aipschitz, Zecher, Zichronam Levracha, Sadikim Kidoshim. Says the Benishchai and Rabbi Yonatan Aipschitz, the story of Chadgadia doesn't make any sense, it seems. Because take a look at this for a minute. We have this young goat. And then came the cat, which ate the young goat, the kid. So when the cat ate the kid, who's the rasha? The cat. So if the cat is the rasha, that means that the dog is a sadiq. Because the dog took up the plight of the young kid that was slaughtered. So now if the dog is a sadiq, so then the stick is a rasha. If the stick is a rasha, then the fire is a sadiq. If the fire is a sadiq, then the water was a rasha. If the water was a rasha, then the ox was a sadiq. If the ox was a sadiq, then the shochet was a rasha. If the shochet was a rasha, then the malachamavet did the right thing. So why did Hashem destroy the malachamavet? This story makes no sense. So asks the Benish Chai and Rabbi Yonatan Aipshitz, Zichronam Lebracha. What a question. Answers the Benish Chai, an amazing answer. Answers the Benish Chai. You're right. The cat, when it came and it ate that kid, the cat was a Rasha. But you want to know what? There's somebody even bigger Rasha than the cat. And that was the dog. The dog went and butt into somebody else's machloket and stirred it and make it bigger than it originally was. And because of that, the cat might have been Rasha, but the dog butt into a machloket that he had no place. And therefore the dog was a much bigger Rasha. And that's why the stick came and hit it. Why are you butting in? The stick was a sadiq. Oh, but then the fire came, the fire of Machloket, to burn up the stick because it wanted the Machloket to get much greater. But then came the water that cooled down the fires, that cooled down the Machloket and tried to stop it. Oh, but then came the ox, which is always that one person that wanted to bully through and take a side. So then came the Shochet to say, enough, I'm ending this. And at that moment came the one that started all of the commotion in the first place, the Malachamavet, the Satan, who he gets no greater pleasure in the world than instigating fights in the first place and stopped the Shochet from trying to put finally an end to what he stirred up all along. And that's why Hashem came and finally got rid of the source of Machloket in Klal Yisrael forever. He got rid of that satan. He got rid of the machloket. Finally. Wow. Now it's a new story. 
Now the story makes sense. But what does this have to do with the Haggadah? How does this fit into Yisiyat Mitzrayim? What does it have to do with the night of Pesach? Answers the Benish Chai, it has all to do. And I'll tell you why. Answers the Benish Chai. Because the Egyptians, they came along and they announced and they tried to get out of the same foolish style of excuses. No different than the Nazis. In the Nuremberg trials, right after World War II. What did the Nazis say in front of that tribunal in Europe, in the Nuremberg trials, when they were put to the wall, when they were facing their war crimes? Do you know what every single one of those Nazis said? It wasn't our fault. We were following orders. This has nothing to do with us. What did we do wrong? We were part of an army. We were part of a people. We were at war. War has its ups and downs. And this, these were prisoners of war. All we did was follow orders. You're going to punish us? The Ben Chai says, and he brings the Midrash, that the Egyptians came and tried to give the same excuse. Hashem, what do you want from us? Why are you giving us makot? Why are you coming down on us? We were just doing your words. We were doing you, your will. Weren't you the one that told Abraham Avinu that your people, the people of Abraham, the people of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, that they're going to be destined for 400 years to go down to a land, to go into slavery, a bitter slavery. And then finally, they'll be let out. All we did, God, was carry out your command. You brought us to people. We supplied the bitter, bitter slavery. And sure enough, we let them out at the time that you wanted them out. What do you want from us? So said the Egyptians. Says Borei Olam. Did I say Egypt? Did anybody say Egypt? Hashem said, all I told Abraham Avinu was that they're going to be destined to go down to a land. At that moment, it could have been any country in the world. I could have taken them to any place to go through those prophetic words that God told Abraham Avinu. But Egypt, you volunteered. You stuck your nose into somebody else's business. This had nothing to do with you. You were like the dog that jumped in in a place that you were not invited, in a place that you had no place. And because of that, Mitzrayim, Hadgadya is the answer to the Haggadah. It's the answer to Egypt. The whole story that was told the entire night, speaking about the praises and the miracles and how Hashem came down on Egypt with the Yad Hazaka and Zroat Nituya. And do you know how that was justified? Because you, Egypt, you stuck your nose into something that you had no place. Chagadya, Chagadya. What a beautiful concept. However, ladies, Today, I'd like to attempt to go into a little bit of a deeper, a deeper idea, something that I heard from Rabbi Gladstein. I'd like to share with you a beautiful idea in the name of the great Reb Chaim Kanievsky Shalita. Shem should send him arichut yami b'shanim. And when you begin to look at this idea, it's something that's so hard-hitting, especially for a Jew in America today. Says the great Reb Chaim Kanievsky. A whimsical child's rhyme? Hardly. Chadgadya says Reb Chaim in his sefer, Ta'ama Dikra. This story is the secrets of the Jewish people, 
history, galut, and redemption. And all the secrets are embedded in this cryptic code in the characters of Hadgatya. So Rav Chaim, let me explain to you what I mean. When we open up in Tehillim, we take a look. We see in Tehillim the very famous pasuk, Lam Natseach Beniginot Al Hashiminit Mizmor LeDavid. Al Hashiminit. What exactly is David Amelech singing about the Sheminit? Something of the number eight. Says the Midrash. It's the Midrash Achortob. He writes that the Jewish people are destined to go through four Galuyot. We're going to go through, as we have gone through, four exiles. But within those four exiles, there's going to be eight kingdoms that are going to rule and oppress the Jewish people. And each exile, there's going to be a partnership of two kingdoms that's going to be the superpowers ruling the world and oppressing Jews throughout that exile. And who are they? Says the Midrash Achortov, the first exile. Those are the kingdoms of Babel and Kazdim. In the second Galut, the Jewish people are going to go through the hands of the kingdom of Paras and Madai. In the third exile, the Jewish people will be under the oppression of Yavan and Mokdan. And finally, in the fourth exile, the fourth Galut, that's the time where Yishmael and Edom will be the two Malchiyot to rule the world. And they will be the oppressors of the Jewish people until today, as we see in front of our eyes, as we're watching on the world stage how the East and the West today are kind of settling themselves down for what's about to come. So the great question is, who's going to be the last Malchut standing? We're going to get to that in a moment. Yishmael and Edom. They're going to be the two Malchuyot in the fourth exile, in the exile we're currently in now. The question is, who is going to be the last one standing? Yishmael or Edom? We understand that there's going to be a great war of Gog and Magog. And in that war, the way we're understanding now, the way we understand from the great Reb Chaim, is that that war is going to come down to Yishmael and Edom, or in modern day terms, East against West. And as we're looking in the world today, we're watching this happen. We're literally watching the East and the West group together and take sides. So who is it going to be the last one standing? It says Reb Chaim that the answer to the secret of history and to the Ga'alut and Ge'ula question is embedded in this cryptic code in Chad Gadya. He wants to say like this. When you look at the Midrash, this Midrash Shachortov, and it describes to you exactly the eight kingdoms in those four Galiot. It gives you a seder and an order of their existence. First is going to come Bavel, and then Kazdim. That's Galut 1. Then is going to come Paras, and then Madai. Then is going to come Yavan, and then Mokdan. And then is going to come Yishmael, and then Edom. From the Midrash, it seems that Edom is going to be the last 
standing kingdom, country, superpower, right before Mashiach comes. However, only in the Midrash it seems that way. When you take a look at Rashi on the book of Sephania, over there Rashi on the book of Zechariah, excuse me, over there Rashi at the end, at the end of Perek He, Rashi over there says the same point, that there's going to be eight kingdoms throughout Galut, and Rashi brings you Bavel and Kazdim, Rashi brings you Paras Madai, Rashi then brings you Yavan and Mokdan, but in the last Galut, Rashi flips the order. And Rashi says, Edom v'Yishmael. According to Rashi, it seems, by changing that order, Rashi seems to be holding that Yishmael is going to be the last surviving nemesis of the Jewish people. It seems, according to Rashi, that Yishmael is going to finish off Edom first. Now, ladies, I want to tell you the truth. Whether it be like the Midrash, that Edom is going to finish off Yishmael, whether it be like Rashi, that Yishmael is going to finish off Edom, I want to tell you the honest truth. I wish both Yishmael and Edom all of the luck in the world. Let them beat each other's head in. That's the truth. Let them wipe each other out with everything they got. That's what I'm about to give. That's what I'm about to tell you. That's what I'm about to tell you. That's what I'm hoping to be the chizuk of this class. That's what I'm about to tell you. But before it leaves us, let's find out what happens to them. So here we are. The great historical question. Who's going to be the last man standing? Says Reb Chaim, the answer is in Chadgadya. And that's the secret of all history. Could you imagine calling that a child's whimsical rhyme? <laughs> Nonetheless, it goes something like this, ladies. There is a very famous Gemara in Mesechet Avodazara Davet Amudet. The Gemara over there talks about Acharit Hayamim, the end of time when Mashiach comes. And it's at that time that the Gemara goes through a whole dialogue of Hashem turning to the Goyim of the world. And Hashem says to all the nations, it's now time for me to give out reward to all those that helped the Jewish people. Who comes running first from all the nations of the world? Says the Gemara, Malchut Rome, Rome. Rome comes running and says, Hashem, we deserve all the reward. <clears throat> Hashem says, why do you deserve reward? What do you mean? We build bridges. We went and built bathhouses. We went and built marketplaces. We built malls. And everything we did, we did it just for the Jewish people. Hashem says, Tipshim Atem. You're fools. Everything you did, you did only for yourselves. You went and built bridges, only for easy pass. You went and you built your own spas, that was only for your own pleasures. And the marketplaces and the malls, that you did only for yourselves. Everything you did was only for you. It's very interesting, you know, Hashem calls them tipshim. That means a fool. Wouldn't it be more proper if Hashem would have called them shakranim, liars? I mean, they're lying. They said they did it for us. Really, they didn't do it for us. Why is Hashem calling them tipshim? And the answer that all the Baalei Musar give is that in truth, little did they know, they actually really were doing it all for us. Everything that happens in the world only happens to benefit the Jewish people. The reason why they built those bridges, 
is that we can have rabbis coming from Lakewood to Brooklyn to teach Torah. The reason why they make marketplaces, so that we can go out and buy beautiful new clothing for a Pesach that's coming up. And it's on Hashem's Cheshbon. So go and swipe. Don't worry about it. The reason why all everything, they, they didn't know this. Even the farmer out in Idaho, the reason why he gets his potatoes is because one day there's a Jew that's going to have some benefit from that which he just harvested. Nothing in the world can exist if it doesn't have some brilliant, brilliant connection back to Jewish people, even in a far-fetched way, or else it has no existence in this world. So Hashem did not call them liars, because in truth, yeah, Hashem put the ideas in their heads to do everything they did really for us, but that wasn't their intention. And therefore, if your intention wasn't for them, but rather your intent was for yourselves, you don't deserve any reward. With that, the Romans back off. Says the Gemara, there's another nation that steps up to the microphone. Borei Olam, we deserve a reward. Which nation is that? Malchut Paras. Paras says, everything we did, we did for the Jewish people, so that they may learn Torah. Hashem says, what did you do for them? We went and we built bridges. Oh, here we go again. We went and we built bridges. We went and we built marketplaces. We went and we built and we've done and did and so on and so forth. Every Persian rug was weaved with a Jew in mind. They're the only ones that can afford them. <laughs> no, nonetheless. But everything we've done was only for the Jewish people. Hashem says, Tipshimatem. Here we go again. You're fools. Everything you did, Parsim, you did for yourselves. You did not do for the Jewish people. And because of that, you get no reward. Now this is a famous Gemara that everybody knows about. But what they don't, or maybe some, have not had yet the patience to scroll down to the end of the page. At the end of the Gemara, the part that everyone forgets to give over, is that the Gemara asks, from 70 nations in the world, how come the Gemara only mentions two? It only mentions Rome, and it only mentions Paras. That's it. Nobody else came to ask reward from God for something they did for a Jew? Seventy nations, only two speak? Answer, the Gemara asked this question. Answers the Gemara, do you know why these two nations are highlighted in the conversation with Hashem? Because these two nations are going to be the two Malchuyot left at the time when Mashiach comes. They're going to be the two ones around. They're going to be the two ones ruling at the time when Mashiach comes. And that's why they'll be the two at that time to speak and ask God for reward. So, let's so it's very clear that these two nations, Malchut Rom and Paras, says Reb Chaim, Malchut Rom. That's what we call today America, the European countries, and the West. And Paras, which today, says Reb Chaim, is not the old Malchut of Paras. That old Persian kingdom today doesn't really exist. The Iran of today, the Iraq of today, is not the old Paras. There was a certain period in history that the Arabs came in and infiltrated Persia and completely took her over. And now Paras became synonymous with Ishmael. So today, says Reb Chaim, Paras is the entire Middle East. Paras today is Saudi Arabia, Syria, Lebanon, 
Jordan, Iran, Iraq, Egypt. What we call today the Middle East, today is Malchut Paras. Malchut Rome, Rome today is America and the European countries, the West. And here it is, East against West. Here is little by little where this showdown is going to begin to unfold. And take a look, 70 nations today, 35 are Yishmael, Paras, 35 are Rome. It's literally dead set down the middle. It says Reb Chaim. But to tell you the truth, the surviving nation is not something that was just given up to imagination or for one to guess. But if you take a good look, there is an open Gemara. That the Gemara in Yoma, Daf Yud Amur Aleph, the Gemara there actually has a machloket between Rebbe and Rabbah. Which nation is going to win the war? Which nation is going to be the last standing nation right before Mashiach comes? Rebbe says that Yishmael is going to wipe out Edom. Yishmael is going to be the last standing nation right before Mashiach. Rabbah learns not like that. Rabbah disagrees. Rabbah says Edom is going to wipe out Yishmael first. And they're going to be the last standing nation right before Mashiach comes. And then it's Edom that's going to turn on us, the Jewish people, as they surround Israel and they surround Yerushalayim like the prophecy of the Navi. And that's the moment of Geulah, the moment that Mashiach comes. This is an open machloket. The rabbis actually fought about this. Who's going to win that war? Paras against Rome. East against West. Gog Magog. Who's the last standing nation? In that is a machloket between the rabbis. Nonetheless, ladies, says Reb Chaim, I believe that we need a psak halacha. We need to come out with a bottom line. Says Reb Chaim, I believe that the Chad Gadya is the answer to this tremendous question. Who is it? Who is going to win this war? Says Reb Chaim, let's analyze the Chad Gadya. Let's find out who these characters are in the incredible story of Chagadya. Says Reb Chaim, well, before we analyze, we have to point out a very important point. You know, the European nations, Edom, and the power and the Malchiot that they have. You know where their power comes from? The power of Rome, Edom, and Esav, believe it or not, comes from us. It's usurped through the power of the Jewish people. If you remember when we spoke about that great night that Yitzchak gave the blessings to Esav and Yaakov, part of the condition of that blessing was that when one down is the other up, that means that really when the Jewish people are in Galut, the Malchut kingdom and power that Esav gets when he rises is really taken from us. It's ours. But that's the seesaw that we're on with Edom. However, by Yishmael, it's not like that. By Yishmael, their power, their kingship, is not from Jewish people. Do you know where their power comes from? It comes from one blessing that they got from Abraham Avinu. Abraham prayed for Yishmael. Lu Yishmael. Yishmael should live and be blessed. Oh, how that blessing hurt us. Lu Yehyeh. Lamed Vav. That's 36. 
That is the 35 nations of Yishmael today, plus Yishmael himself, the one that was getting the blessing. That's 36. Their power comes from Ibrahim, Abraham Avinu. And that power is a very powerful power. Says Reb Chaim, that power is something that we're going to have to reckon with. Now, let's take a look at this Chadgadya. Let's take a look at the history of the world and how it unfolds in this incredible story. Says Reb Chaim, the Gadya, well, that is the young goat, the kid. That's us, the Jewish people. That's a no-brainer. The Zabin Abba, Betrezuze, that daddy bought for two coins. Who's Abba? Avinu Shabashamayim. Hashem bought us with two luchot habrit on Har Sinai. When Hashem gave us the Torah, we became His nation. We became His people. We became the chosen people at that moment. That's the Trezuze, the Shnei Luchot Habrit. But then after that, if you take a look at the end of the Chad Gadya, the last stanza, Ve'atah HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem came when He destroys Malach HaMavet. Well, we know who HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. That's Hashem. So we know the first of the ten characters, the Gadya, that's the Jewish people. And we know the last of the ten characters, and that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The question is, who are the middle eight? Says Reb Chaim, Lam Natseach Al Hashemi Neet. Those are the eight kingdoms, the eight Malchuyot that are going to run through the four Galuyot of Jewish history. As we said, Bavel and Kazdin, Paras and Madai, Yavan and Mokdan, and then of course what we're in now, and that is Edom and Yishmael. How do you see that? Where do you see it on the characters themselves? Says Reb Chaim brilliantly. I'll show it to you black and white. Says Reb Chaim. The first was Bavel, Nebuchadnezzar. He's called the cat. Because he was the one that put Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah in the lion's den. He put him in front of the great cats. And it was a great, great Kiddush Hashem to the world. When they were able to walk out untouched. And therefore Bavel is called the cat. And then right after that came the dog. And who was that? That was Belshazzar. Belshazzar, let me tell you something very interesting. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar married a woman who was from Kazdim. She was a Kazdian. The queen of Nebuchadnezzar Kazdin, this particular queen, had a child, Evel Meradach. And this child, Nebuchadnezzar went and locked him up and wouldn't let him out of jail because he wasn't from pure Babylonian blood. Years later, Nebuchadnezzar dies, Evil Miradach was allowed out of jail, and it was at that point that he became king, and after that came Belshazzar, who was the Kazdian king. Belshazzar was called the dog. Why? Because he took, as Chazal tell us, all the wonderful Kalim of the Bet HaMikdash. And he used the kelim, the vessels of Bet HaMikdash to feed his dogs. Just to go and degrade and put down the Jewish people and to show them your Bet HaMikdash is gone. Take a look, my dogs are eating out of its vessels. You lost your holiness. You lost your hope. So he's called the dog that came and bit the cat, Kazdim, who knocked Bavel out including their royal blood. No longer will there be a Babylonian king. They took it from the Vuchanetzar, the cat. There was the dog who killed the cat. Right after that came 
The stick that hit the dog. Who is the stick? Says Reb Chaim, that was Kodesh and Daryavish. They were the ones that came. And they took a stick, which happened to have been one of the arms of the menorah, Hazahav. And with one of those sticks and branches of the menorah itself, they beat Balshatzar over the head till they literally beat his brains. And they killed him. And it was from that point that Parasumadai stepped up to the world power. Paras had a had a deal. And the deal was that Paras was going to rule first, and then Madai was going to get their chance to take over. Once Paras got the throne, they didn't end up giving it up after that to anybody. And that created a tremendous controversy. And because of that, who came along? The fire. Who was the fire? Ahashverosh. Like the Megillah calls Ahashverosh. Vechamato bo'ara bo. He was the fire. He was this ball of anger, Ahashverosh. And any of you that was with us in the last few weeks that we spoke about the classes on Purim, Ahashverosh's anger on the Jewish people for his crazy assumptions. If you heard the class about Ahashverosh and the stargazers, he thought that the Jewish people were after him. He thought everybody was after him. He was this paranoid bull of anger. And therefore he was called the fire that burnt the stick. The kaas is the ish of fire. After that came the water, and that was the Mokdan. Alexander Mokdan, Alexander the Great. He was from Mokdan. The reason why they're called water is because that began that very illicit and immoral culture that was going to later on be called Greece. The Mokdanim, Alexander Mokdan, they were very handsome people, but their arayot was so terrible. And what they introduced to the world in a Tum'ah way of Arayot, they were referred to as water because they were literally bathed in Arayot. And because of that, they were called water, as if they were marinated in immorality. They came and put out the fire. They came and they got rid of Ahashverosh, and they took over the world from Parasumadai, Mokdan. After Mokdan came Yavan. After the stick... After the water, rather, came the ox. Why is Yavan called an ox? Because it was Yavan in the time of Hanukkah that made us write, Kitfu lachem al karnei ashor, she'en lachem chelek be'elokei Yisrael. If you remember that famous story of that they made us write on the horns of the ox. And one of the pshatim, why they used to make them write it on the horn of the ox? Because in those years, that was the... Old baby bottles. They used to fill up the horn with the milk or the food, and they would cut a hole at the end for the child to suckle on. And they wanted the little infants already to start looking at the apikor suit. So they were called the ox. That's why Yavan was called the ox. And then right after Yavan, well, then came the shochet. Now here's the million dollar question. Because whoever the Shochet is going to be, the Malchamavet is going to be the last standing nation. Hitler. Well, you're right about that. You're absolutely right. Hitler already was a Shochet. That's very evident to all. But this goes back before even Hitler. Says Reb Chaim, the Shochet is Rome. The Shochet is Rome. The Shochet is Esav. The Shochet is Amalek. You're right. It is. Michelle, you're right. But the Gemara says it before Hitler came along. 
The Gemara calls the Romim, the Romans, Shohatim. Because they are Shohet, Talmidei Chachamim. They were the ones that did the Asara Haruge Malchut. They were the ones that slaughtered Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shmael Kohen Gadol, all the, the greatest ten rabbis, maybe of history. The Romans slaughtered, but in such a horrible way, as we read every year on Tisha B'Av, as some of us read even on Yom Kippur, how they destroyed and slaughtered these great rabbis. The Romans are the Shohatim. And because of that, says Rabbi Chaim, the Malchamavet is Paras. It's Yishmael. And says Rabbi Chaim, I'll prove it to you. What description does the Torah give to Yishmael? Pere Adam. What does that mean, Pere Adam? Simple. Pere, there's nothing simple about this guy. Pere Adam, listen to this. The Midrash over there writes as he brings. Pere Adam. Every other nation in the world, their conquest, their thirst is for power and money. When they attack, power and money. Everyone except Yishmael. He has money. He doesn't need your money. And he's not interested in the power of kavod. He's about jihad. Pere Adam. He's about training young 12-year-olds on video to go and chop and decapitate and slaughter people. That's Ishmael. Pere Adam. They're after man itself. Not after power. Not after money. They're after life. They're after a holy war to kill. And once they've killed and slaughtered more and more people, they feel that they're getting their conquest and purpose in life. Pere Adam. They are the danger to man himself. They're out to kill people. Who else has the, what we would call resume, the MO of killing people? It's the Malhamavit himself. He's the one that comes for people. Ishmael comes for people. Pere Adam. And therefore, who is referred as Malchamavet? Ishmael. Says Reb Chaim. Says Gadya, the last standing nation. According to him, like the Rashi in Zechariah, who Rashi switches the order, not like the Midrash that says Ishmael Edom. Rashi switches it to be Edom the Ishmael. They're Malchamavet. They're going to be the last standing nation. And according to this, they're going to wipe out Edom. According to this, according to Reb Chaim, we might be in the wrong country. <laughs> Forgive me for saying that. But I wanted to say it because I don't want us to become lax on what we're watching. We're watching it unfold in front of our eyes. It's literally as we're watching a movie go step by step. And now I understand, you know, this past summer, I was by Reb Chaim Kanievsky. I was moving to Brooklyn. I asked for a beracha for the move. And Reb Chaim looks at me and says, you're moving? You're moving? I want you to move here to Bnei Brak. I want you to live right next to me. I said, but Reb Chaim, I'm moving because and we're giving our heart and soul to our guys to our young ladies, to those that are growing with us, we're making Mamish Kiddush Hashem. He says, no, no. You didn't understand what I meant. I didn't mean for you to come. Yeah, at first I was so flattered. 
Because I didn't mean you to come. I'm giving you a beracha that you will be able to come with your entire kehillah to Eretz Yisrael the right time. In time. In time. It's going to be the safest place in the world at that incredible moment. And here it is. Chad gadya, chad gadya. Va'ata Kaddush Baruch Hu. Hashem's going to come and destroy the Malchamavet, who destroyed Edom, who ended up destroying Yavan, who ended up destroying, who came before Yavan, Mokdan, who ended up destroying Parasumadai, who ended up destroying Kazdim, who ended up destroying Bavel, who came and destroyed our Bet Amikdash, us, the young kid. The gadya that was bought for two zuzeh, for the two luchot habrit. Chad gadya, chad gadya. And says, Reb Chaim, if you need one more proof, I'll give it to you. And we'll call the class because I know I'm over my time. Says Reb Chaim, take a good look in the Bal HaTurim at the end of Parshat Vayera. At the end of Parshat Vayera, it goes in length to describe all the princes of Yishmael. Over there, the Balaf Turim says on the last words of the parasha, Al Pene Kol Echav Nafa. Says the Balaf Turim, right after that pasuk, describing the princes of Yishmael, Al Pene Kol Echav Nafal, starts the next parasha, Ele Toldot Yitzchak Ben Avraham. Says the Balaf Turim, why did the Torah put these two psukim together? The princes of Yishmael with the children of Abraham and Yitzchak. Says the Balaf Turim, because Yishmael is going to be the last nation to the moment of Mashiach. They're going to be the ones that kol echav nafal. They're going to fall right at the last moment of Mashiach upon the entry of Ele Bene Yitzchak ben Avraham. That's the moment that Mashiach is going to come. That's the moment that the Jewish people will finally get the redemption that we've been waiting 2,000 years of Galut for. That's going to be the great moment in time. Says Reb Chaim, take a look. The Balaturim is telling us exactly what we brought from the Chad Gadya. So ladies, what's the point of this class? You might be thinking. Rabbi, are you trying to get any white hairs? Well, what's the point of this class? I'll tell you what the point of this class is. The point of this class is the only one that is going to save us and bring Mashiach Tzidkenu is not a president with the middle name Hussein. It is not going to be a country that we're sitting behind thinking like other Jews once thought in other countries. But rather, this is a moment Moments before Pesach, the night of Geulah, the month of Geulah. But it also screams, Chad Gadya, Chad Gadya. We're down to the last two characters. Open our eyes. Don't be foolish. Don't have this complacency, thinking that everything is fine and dandy. Don't get too comfortable. Now's the time for change. And we're getting the wake-up calls. And we're feeling the squeeze. We're feeling, God forbid, we should never know. But the tragedies and everything that we're going through. And all this is piecing together as we watch the news day after day. Another country falls. Another thing happens. Another country is hit by terrorism. Another country has an ISIS situation. 
What's going on? What's going on? Now you know what's going on. Now we see, says Rabbi Chaim, very clear. The moments are only moments away, but now's the time to react. Now's the time to take upon ourselves, our families. We need to get ready for a great Geulah Be'ezat Who knows? Maybe it could be this year. Maybe this could be that last Pesach. The Pesach, the last Pesach in Galut. That we could be Zocheh to finally see it. And it should go quick. Like this, we can watch it. And we could be able to see the Geulah in its beauty and its greatness. We can bring a Korban Pesach this year. It can happen. And it will happen. But it's up to us for that change, for that Teshuvah. We should be Mitzapim Ligula and we should react and find what is it that I can do that can bring the Jewish people one step closer. Take upon yourself, not just Matzah Umaror, not just the cleansing, not just the preparations of Pesach, but what about the inner preparations of Pesach? We're getting ready for Pesach, but we also have to get ready for Geulah, and that is a personal Bezat Hashem milestone. Take upon ourselves something to walk into a Pesach that maybe that can tip the scales that this could be the last Pesach in Galut. Amen. Amen.